Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. If you would like more information on our website, you can check us out at www.TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We are an online retailer that carry a bunch of custom colors, a bunch of stock colors from most of the major manufacturers in the muskie industry. We also carry a bunch of the st- small stuff from you know some of the small basement guys. My co-hosts this evening are Brad and Carrie Hoppy from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. They are the makers of the original Big Bladed Bucktails. If you want more information on Muskie Mayhem Tackle, you can go to www.muskymayhemtackle.com. And our guests tonight are the very first repeat guests that we've ever had. And we're bringing you two of them simultaneously so they can duke it out over sign imaging. We have Matt Seifert with Muskie Mercenary Guide Service. And we have Matt Cook with Hummingbird. How are you all doing this evening? We're, we're all doing pretty good. Looking forward to this conversation, Jeff. Yeah, this should be fun. Well, tonight we don't really have an agenda since um, basically what we wanted to do is just kind of have a midsummer mashup. Um, we're going to talk to Matt Cook about some of the latest and greatest from Hummingbird. They're fresh off of iCast, so I'm guessing that Matt's got some new stuff to talk about for Hummingbird coming out. And, you know, we figured since we pretty much in love with hummingbird and sight imaging on this podcast we might as well bring him back and he can dive into that and of course matt seifert's going to be there to fight with matt cook about what matt talks to him about hummingbird and hopefully matt's been on the water i know i've been on the water i think brad's been on the water carrie you been on the water negative ghost rider (laughs) carrie has been building bucktails See, there's a common theme here, Brad. I think. <laughs> there is. So the women, Not so good for me. the women in our lives have pretty much just ran the show for the last month. Cause yeah, I, I would say that's pretty true. The Jeff. last month? Well, I'm only going to give her a month. I mean, it's only been a, a rough. All right, I'll give her five weeks. She's been running the show for five weeks. Anybody that's ordered from Team Rhino Outdoors in the last five weeks realizes that there's a really good chance that I did not have anything to do with your package nothing (laughs) well i'm gonna probably have to say 15 years yeah i was gonna say i've been running the show for a lot longer than five weeks well i mean so then my wife's got it she's got nothing to complain about then dealing with it for five weeks right (laughs) you have four kids she can complain yeah i mean it's legit especially because we've been we've been pretty busy in the shop in uh so wasn't wasn't that one of you guys that was supposed to email? Oh, maybe that was. I was talking to Chris from Lunge and Lures. One of them, one of them was going to send her a text message telling her that she's the employee of the month for June. I don't know if anybody did that or not, but <laughs> I thought it was a funny idea. Does she have her own parking spot because of it? <laughs> yeah, she can have the whole garage to herself. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, it's been it's been good. It's been good that she's been there, but also, I mean. I've been all over the place fishing from visiting you guys to northern Wisconsin to back to Minnesota to St. Clair to the other side of northern Wisconsin. It's been it's been good. I mean, if you anybody pays attention to our YouTube channel so far, we haven't really released too many fishing videos. But um, so far, we got 31 muskies on film in the last since pretty much about the time we came to visit you, Brad. So I'd say things are good that way. Um, it's certainly been an odd year. I'm, I'm sure everybody else can offer their opinion, but like moon phases haven't really been a big deal to us so far this year. They've like, we've had definite windows, but it doesn't necessarily seem like they're all around the moon. Are you guys seeing anything like that too? 
definitely. I would say that they haven't uh, correlated much at all this whole season. Um, how about you guys, Matt? Matt? <laughs> uh, yeah, you could just say Seifert, too. It doesn't matter. Um, but I would say maybe 10% of the fish have come on moon phases. Most of them are the same fight window every day. So we, me and Brad were talking about that last night. Like when he caught fish up here, I caught him on Vermilion. It was like the same times too. Certain times of the day, it just seemed to fish were biting. It is weird. And the temps have been crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, like I had a trip to Northern Wisconsin for the new moon. And then I was just in Northern Wisconsin again for the full moon. And while we got fish both times, we had to work super hard for the bites. It wasn't like either of those two windows really helped out. I think Matt, you said you were on the water earlier this week and you said you had similar issue there too yeah we didn't have any moon activity i mean we never saw a fish after six o'clock p.m which i thought was really weird but the water here jumped really warm really fast so most everything's been shut down um it went i started fishing up here monday we saw five or six monday uh four on tuesday three on Wednesday and caught one Thursday. We lost one, saw one. And today we saw one. So it's just gotten worse all week. Um, so hopefully a cold front will snap them out of it. I do know some guys up North, the Northern lakes, um, Vermilion Island. There were some real big ones caught during the moon phase there at moonrise on Tuesday, I believe. How are most of them? How are most of the guys catching their fish right now? Uh, I, the, the two big ones that I know, the one on Island, which was really big, and the one on Vermilion, were both on supermodels at Moonrise. Interesting. Well, it kind of goes kind of goes back to a conversation we talked about earlier today, Brad. I mean, you know, granted we talk about supermodels a little bit on the podcast, but it seems like maybe this year guys are going back to really big blades. So guys, I mean, maybe people that wouldn't necessarily be throwing. Uh, I mean, it's like not necessarily the tens; they're going right to the twelves, which is what the supermodel is. Does that? I mean. 13. 13s. 13s. Yeah, that, that's an exclusive uh, blade that we had designed just for us. And the reason we did that is we wanted a blade that would turn simply like a, like a number 10 blade. And honestly, for that size blade, it really doesn't have a ton of resistance like a lot of the other ones do. Um, but, you know, it's a big profile bait. And honestly, I, I would say there's there's kind of a a trend, if you will, in the musky industry to downsize baits. And, but then there's this other trend where guys are upsizing. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I was going to say, based on what we talk about a lot, I mean, it seems like, especially with sales on my own website, I mean, we see the sales, the eights are better. You know, that's pretty much pretty typical. Obviously this year, the single girl has been a really good seller, uh, smaller blade, single blade on that one. Um, I'll give you a shameless plug on a single blade. So we just came out with a new bait. Um, we call it the Mimic. It's a single eight blade from Musky Mayhem. Pretty cool because we have like the the jointed uh, split ringed together piece in it. And I I had Brad and Carrie when I was over there come up with this. So we have two models. I have a single Colorado and a French blade on it. And um, it didn't take long and I actually caught a muskie on it and just some random color that we threw together in the shop. So if guys are looking for another option, check out the mimic on our website. We will have it exclusively. It's potential that somebody else will pick it up at some time, but I'm excited to play with that bait too. But again, going with the smaller size, that's a smaller size bait. 
But um, it seems like, yeah, this year there's that that other extreme where guys want to just go past the double 10 right to the supermodel. Yeah, you just, I don't know. It, it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I'm still a 10 guy. I, I still like the 10s. But, um, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for every bait. That's for sure. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I would agree. But sundown is the time for a supermodel. Yeah. <laughs> I think you asked every guy in the state what their favorite bait is. It's black and flame supermodel at sundown. But yeah, move a lot of water, present a big target. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you can slow roam so nice in the weeds. And the big blades push most of the weeds. A little jerk, you can rip right through the cabbage every time. So almost every time. But yeah, that's a fun bait. We haven't, this week though, the fish have come on tens for us. Slow rolling tens. Fish are super lazy. I don't know if you guys want to hear more. So we talk more about fishing or yeah, what right. there. All right. So this is kind of, I'll just give you the last few weeks um, from what I've heard from other guides um, and what's happening right now. Open water bite was fun for oh, about a week and a half. It was kind of rough start. I think for most guys I know uh, casting and trolling was rough. Uh, late spawn seemed like uh, the fish just weren't, that cold cold weather they just wouldn't move out into the open water and now that they moved out it got good for about a week and a half two weeks um and now with this heat uh the cisco's and everything has pushed down the mayflies have stopped uh, i still think there's one big one getting caught every day on Lax. Um, open water trolling which is the warmest water which is kind of weird but um their mayflies always hatch the latest on Lax. do you do you find though that um the warmer the water gets, the harder it gets on fish with that open water trolling too, though. Correct. Yep. I'm not scared if I'm catching them with four feet of line out behind a board, but if I got 30, 30 to 40 feet out, yeah, yeah, that's pretty scary because yeah. Malax has got to be over 82 now. Right. Um, but even even out here for us, if once the water hits a certain temp, you're kind of done. You got to quit. Yep. Yep. Or and did. I mean, this week it went from 77 on Monday, all it's 80.2 right now. Or you just so, start. And tomorrow it's going to be cold tonight. The wind's going to blow a little bit. We should be fine. Should drop right back down. But um, a question we had though, Matt, um, previously to this podcast is what are some of the baits that, that we're using in the open water? And you share what you're using and I'll, I'll share what I'm using as well. Um, well, most of my open water stuff's on Vermilion. Um, but leech as well and here, but as far as trolling goes, I use primarily, well, only, uh, supernatural big baits, the headlocks and the matlocks. Those are the only two baits I troll, um, or the lip lock. Um, I've tried some other ones and I have more success with the matlock than, um, headlocks. So that's what I run. Uh, when I'm casting, it's kind of changed a lot. Um, the whole vermilion thing, Luke kind of started that by throwing pounders and medusas, but the fish were so shallow when the mayflies hatch, um, when the water warms up, the fish in the open water are so shallow in most of the basins that you can be in 50 feet of water, they're two feet down. So when that bait hits the water, ripping those medusas was a pain, but it was a massacre. We caught every fish in every basin on them, so they don't bite them anymore, and now it's turned into the... Um, the beaver baits, we use those. Um, and every now and then, just a really odd top water. Uh, some of the saltwater poppers, a couple of my clients caught fish on those out there. 
that I thought would never work. Um, I've had them chase some prop baits, but that's a heavily pressured body of water. And if we put a bucktail in the kitchen, it just scares me that they're, they'll follow it, but we just can't get them to eat a bucktail out there on vermilion. Uh, not so much on leech in here. That's a totally different story. But I don't cast open water on leech in here very often. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it definitely does. You know, and I, I use the same. I mean, I'm I'm using the 10 inchers, generally speaking. Um, the matlock, probably preferably number one, and, and then the hex bait in a 10 inch. Um, but there's times when the 13 inch grandma really becomes a key. Um, and again, big profile baits. I mean, that's, that's really the just to it. And, uh, and we do use some trolling girls out there in the open water as well. Um, our systems here where I live are a little bit different than what Matt has generally fished in the open water. And Matt's broadened his horizons a little bit too. He's always been one to experiment and travel and, and hit different bodies of water. But, uh, you know, vermilion, as far as open water, is a little different than some of the other big, deep main basin lakes that are across the state. So it's unique. Yeah, it's like a bunch of little lakes put together. So it makes it a little bit easier. You can check each basin at a time, water temps, bug hatch. You can talk to any of the walleye guys. It's pretty easy out there, I think. Uh, well, <laughs> it's easy to find out where the mayflies are hatching. It's not easy to catch them. Um, which is, yeah, we can talk about that another time, um, the stocking stuff. But uh, hopefully that will be coming around soon with the new stocking. Uh, but leech has been a fun one for me. The open water bite there is fairly easy, I thought, um, as far as the muddy bottom and the mayflies. But they're tricky out there. They're natural fish, and sometimes you get them above gravel when you think, you know, you're, wow, there's bugs and ciscos out here, but there's no muskies and go over some gravel bars and there they are. So kind of fun, new thing I'm learning out there. Not the typical Walker Bay open water bite going out to the main lake's been fun. That's cool. You know, and that's the weird thing is that you'll find fish in so many different locations. And I would say that this year was way different for me than pretty much every other year that I've ever done this. Um, meaning the fish that I normally would fish were in like 80 to 100 feet of water in the bodies of water I choose. Um, but generally speaking this year, pretty much all the open water fish I caught were in 40 to 60 feet, which is not typical. But again, the mayflies weren't really in that deep water either. Um, we had just a strange, strange beginning of this year. And I don't think it's really come out of that strangeness yet. <laughs> right. I don't think the mayflies will hatch either. Um, you know, we had a really weak hatch everywhere and it's not going to get, I mean, they won't hatch if it's not warm enough for them to survive at night and they live in the bottom for four to seven years. And if the weather's never right during hatch time and the weather, the water temp got to the right really fast. And then we had that massive cold front for two weeks. So they just didn't hatch and they hatched for about a week. That's it. So it was a short window. And for us, it's funny that Brad mentions the 40 to 60 foot bite on vermilion we didn't really have a bite we got a few casting in the morning over 50 feet of water very shallow but i think it was so random and unpatternable and so few fish i think they were just coming out to see if the mayflies and ciscos were there it wasn't uh you know they weren't there we'd mark them on our mega and i'd be talking to bob and luke and like well i saw two over here and i saw and normally there's you know we can find a you know, 10 different packs of them, 
of five to 12 fish together. Well, this year it was one guy would catch one every morning. That was it. Instead of seven fish getting caught at one opening, you know, one window. Uh, and then seven more fish getting caught on another window. It was very random. But we are trolling by on and The fish were caught for me. Uh, we had a uh, couple multiple, good multiple fish days. And both of them were actually in 14 feet of water, which is going from 30 to 50 feet into 14 in mud basins, shallow mud basins. was the only way that the mayflies would hatch. That's wild. That's really wild. So you, you said it a couple times, Matt. You, you said, we're seeing them, okay? Tell us how you're seeing them. Well, in the open water, especially with the mud basin, it's so simple to see them. Um, and like I, I think I said this last podcast, but in the um, side imaging menu, the advanced menu, uh, or what is it? It's the enhance. Enhance, yeah. Side imaging enhance, just it's contrast and sensitivity. Sharpness off, contrast and sensitivity. Those are the three things you need to worry about. Um, when you get into shallow casting in the rocks and um, sand, you got to get your sensitivity down, your contrast up, vice versa. Every boat's a little different. If I tell somebody my settings, it's totally different on their boat. Even if it's another Ranger boat or two people own aluminum crafts, aluminum crafts, um, depending on your power source, you, every every graph's different it seems like you there's just you can't ask somebody if your transducer's tilted one thirty seconds of an inch up your settings are different yeah, time of day light conditions there's no silver bullet for settings no absolutely not but it's fairly simple it's soon if as long as you play with it so i get out in open water um play with your sensitivity and contrast to get a nice mud bottom you don't want your hard bottom to wash out and just be bright white where it's almost glowing on the screen. I compare it to uh, washing out a, a photo. Exactly. You know, I mean, literally, that's what you're doing. It's like taking a picture with your camera, really. I mean, and adjusting accordingly. Yeah. You want good, rich colors out of your hard bottom, but not white. If it's white, you're too, you're running too hot. Back that sensitivity down a little bit, yeah. and you'll be in that sweet zone there. And it's easy to do if you can find gravel you know, softball size, the volleyball size gravel or boulders. And if it's looking all white and you're not getting shadows off the rocks, you should have a nice dark shadow on every rock, a very dark shadow. I like, you know, but, and the, the, does the rocks don't have to be white. The giant ones will be white, but then you get a nice yellow hue on the rocks uh, with dark shadows and your mud will be almost black when you roll into the deeper mud and i like to see the deep mud black almost where you can't even hardly see the bottom from the sides um because then you'll see all the sand deposits you'll get a better reading of sandy areas sand deposits um which a lot of times cisco's like um especially before the mayflies hatch that's one thing in the old water if you can find those areas that's not the softest bottom it's like they stage there um well, this year, for sure, I mean, the sand to mud transition was definitely a key. That's kind of where we were at. Everything was pretty much, leach was that way. Um, Vermilion was just shallower mud, which has sand deposits all through it, sure. um, which is, we've mentioned Mille Lacs too, because they have a mayfly hatch on the gravel bar on the south end, which is weird because it happens late July. But those are rock mayflies that live in the rocks. I didn't even... That was a weird one when I learned that one. But um, I guess when you're playing with that sensitivity, so you get what you want to look at, what you think is a good color. Seeing fish, ciscos, bugs, and uh, muskies in the open water is very simple. Um, 
if you're in a 20 foot mud basin and there is big white fish in them in that particular um, lake, they can get a little tricky. You know, there's 30 inch white fish, giant eight, nine pound white fish that you might think you're seeing muskies. But when you see a pack of them, 30 of them, you could pretty much guess it's not a muskie. But other than that, muskies are almost always suspended. Uh, if you're fishing Minnesota, the Leech Lake fish, I find rarely go below 18 feet. And most lakes just rarely go below 12. Uh, I'm always scared. I never run a bait deeper than eight feet ever. And I'm usually running them three feet down because most of the fish are five feet down. And you don't want to be below. So um, they'll stick out. Plain as day, you'll see a nice white mark on your screen. And depending on how deep you're fishing, you will or will not see a shadow. So, and I was, we said this last time too. I think of it as a flashlight, uh, the side imaging. It hits the fish, it's bright white in a dark room. And then you see the shadow cast. So it's, if you think of it that way, it kind of lays it out for you. Um, and the Cisco's will, you have younger, either young of the year perch, young of the year Cisco's, which are five to seven inches. Those will be your thick clouds where you can't detect what's what. It's just a cloud, uh, orangish cloud darker orange, then your Cisco's will be all bright white dots with multiple shadows. You can almost count every one if your settings are right. Um, and as soon as I see those Cisco's, if they're spread out everywhere, I'll just kind of keep moving. As soon as I see them balled up, they're scared. There's usually a muskie around. Just got to find it. Um, that's what I do. You, I, no, I, I'm totally with you. I just, I wanted the listeners to hear that. Um, you know, honestly, we should ship to Matt Cook and uh get his perspective on the setup and i mean he, he's the master he's uh part of the business and and can offer way more than than all, any of us honestly before we shift to matt cook though i got two questions for matt <clears throat> seifert so stuff that you know listeners may they'll they'll be interested in or want to know so matt you said that you generally use headlocks and headlocks and matlocks what <clears throat> what makes you use one versus the other um, well, I can't tell you all my secrets, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of what I keep to myself. Um, but well, then Brad, Brad, why don't you answer the question? I know you'll give up all your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you half of it. The headlocks, the headlocks are mellow or a mellower bait. It doesn't have as hard of a wobble as the matlock does. And I feel when the fish are more neutral, they'll eat the headlock before the matlock. Now, we are fishing in the kitchen, not the living room like the rest of the year. Uh, they eat in the kitchen, and they eat hard, and they're pretty aggressive out there. So I usually catch more on matlocks, but uh, if the window's open and I have seven, six or seven baits out, I'll catch three, and all of them are on the matlocks. But then I got to go four hours to five hours for another window to open. And the guy who has a headlock in the back of the school of fish he's running has a mellow bait in the back of the school. And if a fish is lazy and follows the school, I catch fish in between windows, usually about one a day, and they're on the back hook of a headlock. And every other fish is caught on the front. So in essence, you're, tr you're almost creating another window by running that headlock where, you know, where and when you are. In the, in the back of a pack of baits, I put a very mellow bait. And I will sometimes put a 12-inch tail on it so it barely moves at all. Well, that's fair enough. You answered that question better than I thought you were going to. I think, I mean, you brought a lot of value right there. I don't know what you're worried about there. Um, okay, one last question then would be on beaver baits. Uh, for guys that don't know, beaver bait's a jerk bait. It's um, 
got a weighted head and it has it has the ability to put additional weight on there generally when you're running a beaver bait matt are you running additional weight on it not additional um just the regular i put the big for the um i don't even know the sizes it's the beaver xl i believe um the original is the baby beaver the beaver xl is an x size up kind of the one most people in minnesota use i don't know about you wisconsin guys yeah we probably use the mini one yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and we don't even know what op- we don't even know what open water is like i'm you know we're all we're all lost with you guys talking about open water we're like find let me find some weeds let's where are the weeds at yeah yeah um so i use the bigger beaver uh we actually caught one on the little beaver I had a client that couldn't throw the big one this year and I'd never thrown it before and we caught one on it. Um, uh, so the weight is important to me. The bait runs either one inch down or four inches down. The bait does not go deep. It doesn't matter. I think he has one called the Lake Edition that dives deeper. Um, and that one I'd love to fish. I have not tried it. I don't have one. Um, but the open water beaver thing, it's just something different. I don't know what it is. On Lake Vermilion, um, I don't have a ton of experience open water casting other places, but that heavier weight drops the head so fast, and then because we're jerking it fairly fast, um, and that just helps that tail whip that much more, and it really looks alive. And I've had a few people tell me, "Wow, this beaver, I don't like my beaver," and I'll look at it and I'm like, "Did you replace the tail?" Well, yeah, I, a pike bit the tail or something. Well, they got a split ring wrong. If you don't have the tail flat, it's not a cool bait. When Brian sells them, it's flat. And if you replace it, make sure, or you cut the hook after a fish, you have to put it back flat. Or it's not, it's so crazy. A little something like that is all the difference it takes to catch them or not. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a good detail because, I mean, that natural action of the bait's amazing. We get that tail flat and it yes. flips as that it goes It really flips. Down. Yeah. Yep. The more weight and the tail flat, and I've even bent some of my hooks because they're just not quite flat. Yeah. So if you bend it just right, and get it so it's totally flat when you swim it through the water the it looks way cooler but with the heavy weight you get that head snap and if you guys could have seen matt's hand when he did this the tail whips up to the surface really hard um and it seems to work way better so on the order of a bass jig yes exactly typical a bass jig or a reaper you know that it flips yeah. hard like that so but that's what i do um i don't fish them a ton um, unless I'm fishing shallow stuff all the time, but I use them in open water a lot and, uh, I've caught fish on the summer in, in, uh, in the summer as well. Um, but the heavier the weight and the faster you reel them, the more fish you catch in my world, what I've seen. And I know, um, a couple guys that fish them a lot and they fish them really fast, which is, I mean, I was kind of blown away how fast they fish them, like a high speed trains as fast as they can reel and they're ripping the rod downward pumps and the it's crazy how alive it looks at that point yeah well it's a versatile bait too like when we've been fishing cold trunks and stuff sometimes over like really high weeds we'll pull weights out of them just work them where they're almost they'll do a head dive but you can keep them above the weeds but work them slow and then the fish that come up and crush them on weeds so i mean for a varying number of conditions it's a really neat bait um I watched a buddy who wasn't paying attention this year get crushed both side. He just stopped reeling and went to talk to me. And he had a big weight in the head, like you're saying. And did that tail kick, yep. and a 52 came up and, and smoked in both sides as he wasn't paying attention. And, uh, did he, you get it? Yeah. Oh, nice. He landed that fish. So, yeah, he's pretty excited. That's a big fish for him. So Yeah, that's awesome. It's yeah. a big fish for anybody. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, that – 
that just kind of pays off, you know, making sure that tail's right. That's a big pay. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you don't get that kick, it's kind of loses some of its effectiveness. A lot. Yeah. It does not look as cool. Yeah. So, uh, does that answer your beaver question? That does. I'm glad you talked about (laughs) beavers. (laughs) Just sounds weird. Uh, especially how you brought it up. Anyways, uh, turn, turn to other topics. Hey, Brad, uh, I had an email. I, you, you had brought up, you had brought up talking about trolling girls and, um, with your open water deal. I had a customer, uh, not a customer, a, a listener email recently about, he said, Hey, you guys talk about trolling girls a lot. Um, typically are you running weight in front of your trolling girls? I know the answer, but other people want to know the answer. Yeah, for sure. Um, I run, generally speaking, a 16-ounce ball um, on a four-foot leader. And where I'm going to hook that 16-ounce ball is I hook it right where I tie my line on to that four-foot leader. Um, And at about 3.2 to 3.3, with 50 feet of line out, I'm going to be down about 8 feet, 10 feet. Perfect. I mean, it's amazing to think about, but the resistance of that ball, as well as the lift in the blades, it'll lift it right up. Excellent. Um, Well, I guess that's all we need on on those two. Now we can move away from open water, and we can get right to Matt Cook. Matt's already brought us some information here on baby beavers and XL beavers, so let's talk to Brad. Brad, I'll let you take over for a minute and ask some some questions to Matt. Let's talk to him about... um, Side imaging, let's talk to him about what's new with Hummingbird 2, stuff that came out at ICAST. Yeah, I think uh, Matt offers a, a, a ton of different value to this whole podcast with uh, when it comes to side imaging, uh, the mats both do. Let's just say that. But Matt Cook, uh, being from Hummingbird and his background, it's huge. And what a tremendous uh, source to, to bring up a bunch of different things. One of the questions that I know that we've been asked, Jeff, um, is kind of relating to the SI side of things with Hummingbird. And a question that I know you've gotten emailed or uh, messaged, and I've had some phone calls, is why the unit does not correct its speed. So if you're going four miles an hour, why does the SI not read at four miles an hour? Why do you have to manually change those speeds? And Matt, why don't, why don't you answer that? And, and possibly why you're doing that so as far as auto correcting settings a lot of times what ends up happening with your sonar and your fish finder settings auto settings or you know anything that's going to automatically do it isn't always potentially as precise as you can get it manually um i mean the unit to a sense can sense its environment and adjust but uh at the end of the day, the fisherman's the, the best person to take in the environmental settings and adjust that unit for the best clarity, the best image that uh, you see on the screen. Because at the end of the day, it's how good you can see it on the screen. And the unit can't be the best judge of that. Um, pertaining to the speed and auto sensing the speed adjustment, if you think about as you're driving your boat, if you're varying your speed potentially, going from two to five to three and doing all that, if it were to have an auto speed adjust on your chart speed. Constantly trying to calibrate. Right, exactly. So you would actually be quickly scanning across the screen to then slowly, and what you would really end up doing is your speed would vary. It's just chopping up that image, and you would not get a nice, clean, 
um, very uh, consistent picture on your screen. So that's one of the reasons why there's not an auto adjust on your chart speed because it would really kind of chop up that image. So again, learning the technology, knowing how to adjust it and where, uh, where and when to do it, um, that's invaluable for making the most out of the technology. And at the end of the day, going into that quick access menu for SI settings, sensitivity, contrast, chart speed, and we said just keeping sharpness off. Yeah. You know, those things, those are very quick and easy to adjust. So, you know, if you're already in there toying with your sensitivity and contrast to dial those in, chart speeds, probably two more clicks of the button. So you're really, you would almost end up sacrificing the quality of your image if that were to be an auto setting. One, one thing that uh, Matt Seifert didn't maybe answer too, and I know that Matt Cook and I talked about this, I believe in your last podcast. Um, once you know, I mean, when you know what you're actually seeing on, on site imaging, if you run the cursor over, zoom in, you can adjust your screen, you, you know, your the contrast immediately, boom, 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 adjust to what you've zoomed in on. And that definitely will help you find the right settings. Um, but alluding to what you just said there, Matt, um, one of the things that I found interesting with Matt Seifert is, is that I misunderstood him about three years ago on how to set up SI. And that is once you find the speed that you normally are gonna troll at or cast at, doesn't matter learn your unit according to the speed. Matt Cook, what do you think of that? In terms of your sensitivity contrast to your speed or your chart speed? Your or? chart speed. So I like to use the rule of thumb of matching your boat speed to your chart speed, but then there's also people who have the, I guess the personal opinion that they just leave it the default of five because they find themselves flipping from cruising a bank, just scanning quick with the outboard to casting and back and forth as they're, as they're hopping spot to spot, searching for fish quickly. So they just learn their unit at five and call it good. Oh, right. And and that's fine if, if you want to do it that way. I mean, at the end of the day, my preference is different than someone else's and that's fine. It's just, I decide to run my unit that way. And I don't think it, it matters as long as you can see what you're looking to see. I mean, I, I don't know how you approach that, Matt. I mean, I like to, if I, I know I'm going to set up and cast for a while, I like to dial in my chart speed or dial that back a little bit, probably around two. I, I like two because it updates quick enough, but it doesn't stretch out my image when I'm moving yeah. slow too much. But if I have that chart speed up around five and I'm doing, let's say, 0.7 miles an hour on the trolling motor, I find that all my muskies tend to be two inches long then because yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's rolling too fast. It makes the fish bigger. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, if, if only it did that in real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I kind of look at it this way. Um, what Matt was saying about why auto adjust would be bad, where you get a distorted view, that's how I look at side imaging. If you want to run seven, then go five, then three, then two, you've now made yourself have four different images to look at um i'm really picky about how i set my transducer i'm picky about how i put everyone else's transducer on and we play games with each other i mean i mine's on three and it stays on three all the time 
chart speed. I know what I look at. I know what I'm, yeah, chart speed at three. I know what I'm looking at when I'm going seven miles an hour. I know what I look at when I'm going 0.1 miles per hour. And uh, Bob Benson, Luke Ronestrand, they send me pictures sometimes. Bob's the worst. And he'll say, what is this? And what am I doing? And he won't let me see the speed or anything. And I'll say, you're going about 0.4 miles an hour. You're making a left-hand turn. And that's like a 50-inch on your right. And he's like, how did you know I was, you know, so that's our thing. But we all leave our chart speeds at three. We can see them fine. We know what we're looking at. And it's a lot less to learn. So I would tell everyone, don't go out and try to learn all that. You do that after you know what you're looking at. Because mega imaging is so good that at chart speed five or chart speed three or chart speed two, Mm -hmm. you go out and start in the weeds and six feet of water, drive out from the boat launch. Get it figured out. Drive by a point. It's it's very easy if you leave your range at 45 or 50 feet and learn your side imaging like that. In in two months, you'll have it at 90 feet. And with Mega now, I don't have the Mega. What is the Gen 3 one? Plus, yeah. I don't have that one, but I can see everything at 95 feet, whether I'm in two feet of water or I'm in trolling in 100 feet of water. I leave mine. And I, when I troll, I run 105 feet. And then when I cast, I run 95. I think you said something important there, Matt. And I, it's when you're starting out, start shallower water and pull that range in. Like, don't overwhelm yourself with trying to comprehend a bunch of the depth of the water column or a huge range of what you're looking at. The nice thing about when you bring that range in to say 50 feet either side of the boat is the details are so big. You're using your screen to look at a smaller area. So everything on there, fish, boulders, weeds, whatever, are so much bigger. And, you know, if you're just trying to learn it, it those details pop. It's it's easier to identify if you haven't trained your eye yet. And like you said, once you've got an eye for it, you've figured out that, you know, that black center strip there is a water column under your boat. And then the color to the right is to the right side of the boat. And the color to the left is the left side of your boat then pop that range out to, you know, say 90 feet. And then you'll say, okay, yeah, that mark over there, that's, that's a fish, that bright mark off to the right side of the boat. And then that that corresponding shadow that's, you know, roughly due to my range lines, I can tell is 15 feet away. I know that fish is suspended, you know, say 12, 15 feet off the bottom. You know, that's how you start to put all this together. But, you know, start easy, start, you know, with that range tucked in a little bit, maybe a little bit shallower water and just make it easy on yourself to figure out how to read the the sonar style first before you try and go be Superman with this. Sure, exactly. Yeah, because otherwise you won't comprehend it. You know, if if you just go out there and say, you know, I thought it was supposed to drop a star over each muskie. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and I think most guys, like if I most you know newer guys to do it, or guys have been fishing for years, mm-hmm. they'll I'll get in their boat or they'll jump in my boat and say, "Well, I don't, I don't get the side imaging thing. I just don't get it." And in factory settings at 120 feet, when they buy it, they don't have any idea. And they fish an 11 foot deep lake at home, they have no idea. 120 feet out in 11 foot weeds, you're not going to see anything. So I think that's a big, if everyone just remembers that, if I, I don't understand side imaging. If you put it at 40 feet, 45 feet and drive around, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. Go, so go find a place that you know what's down there too. Yeah. That's really helpful. Like if you know there's a big old rock pile in yeah. a certain part of the lake, go drive over something with side imaging that you can recognize 
or that you know is there and start to make sense of what it looks like on the sonar because you can picture it in the physical form and then you start to pair that up with the sonar image and that'll help you as, as well. Agreed. Someday I'm gonna draw, and, and someday I'm gonna draw the perfect or make a box, a diagram box. So a lot of people don't get side imaging that drives me crazy. And I don't want to confuse anybody, but if you think, if you set your range at 95 feet, you're seeing 95 feet of the surface with mega imaging. You're not seeing 95 feet of the bottom. It's a 95 foot arm on a pendulum and it reads 95 feet on the surface it's, it's, and it swings downwards. And if you were in 95 feet of water, you would see no bottom. There's no bottom on the screen. I, I've always, when I'm telling people when they're in the boat, I talk about surface, bottom, surface. And I, I tell them to imagine a windshield wiper. But surface, hummingbird bottom, has, surface. And hummingbird obviously has taken your yellow bottom on each side of the screen that are off to the sides and moved them off to the side to help you see shadows. And it's kind of that black part, your down imaging view, I don't, or similar to a down imaging view. That yellow on the right and the yellow on the left, those are directly under your boat. So if if you're in, let's just say it's a pendulum and you're 90 feet of water and you and you're or I'm sorry, 45 feet of water and your range is at 90 feet, when that 90 foot pendulum comes down and hits the 45 feet of water, you're actually the edge of your screen is 45 feet of the bottom. Mm -hmm. But the screen you have to picture as deep. And they move that bottom, it's right under the boat. They move the bottom to the sides and Oh, Matt could probably explain it better. I might be confusing people. No, I, I think I think you're on the on the exact uh, right subject. So if I'll just say the same numbers that you had. So if your range is set at 90 to each side of the boat and you're in 45 feet of water, keep in mind that your screen has to display a three dimensional environment on a two dimensional screen. So if it says 90 for your range there to the boat left and right of your boat. If you're really looking to uh, the right of your boat and then on the screen, you see a fish out near the very edge on the right, out near that 90 mark, to understand the actual distance from the center line or your transducer of the boat, subtract the depth because what it has to do is show the water column on the screen too. So really that fish out near the, the very edge of your screen at what says yeah, 90. That's what, that's what I do too. I don't know if it's perfect math, yeah. but if I'm in 90, 90 foot range right. and I'm in roughly 30 feet so, of water, I roughly subtract the depth. I assume I can see 60 feet of the bottom. Yep, exactly. So you're, you're subtracting the depth from your range. Yeah. Then, to, the then to then yep, to then to understand how far out to the right and left you're actually seeing and correct and it's it's trigonometry is really what it is so yeah. no one's going to run that equation in their head <laughs> on the fly I don't but the idea is um, you know you get a rough estimate you know enough to either make a cast in that direction or scroll your cursor over drop a waypoint on that fish or piece of structure yeah. so you come back on it anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, the the idea here is we're we're trying to define a point of interest and then position our boat in a in a way that we can target those fish. Yeah. And see, and that's what I get asked all the time. So we're driving, and everybody wants to learn about it. Mm -hmm. So we're let's say we're trolling. We got five guys in the boat, and they're all sitting behind me. What's this? And I show them this is this, this and this, and then they'll say, "Well, is that a muskie?" And I'll say, "Yep, that's the right size." 
And they say, well, how deep is that one? It must be on the bottom. There's no shadow. No, it's on the edge of my screen. It could be 45 feet away at the bottom or at the edge of my screen on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Let's say we're in the same deal, 90 feet out, 45 feet deep. There's one on the right side of my screen. And they'll say, well, how deep is it? You're the, you're the side imaging guy. Well, that fish is on the side of us. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It could be 95 feet away on the surface, or it could be on the bottom. Right. Without a shadow, there's no reference point Correct. for depth. It could be, yep. if it's, oh, since it's on the edge of the screen, it could be three feet off the bottom mm -hmm. and it has no shadow. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how deep it is. Yeah. There's just, you have a 95 foot arm and it, when it's a flashlight and the mm -hmm. beam stops at 95 feet and when it hits something, it's going to throw a shadow. If it's there to throw, if the fish is on the surface, you'd need a 10,000 foot arm to actually hit the bottom. Yeah. And, and maybe... Maybe we rewind like two steps because I, right. we're, we're on a wavelength here. But just to to roll it back I, to exactly what we're saying is you can judge the relative um, distance that a fish is suspended off the bottom based on the distance from its shadow. Correct. Right. So what we're saying here is if you see that nice bright mark of the fish, you know, off to the side of the boat, but see no shadow, there's probably two instances in in which are occurring either that fish is suspended very high off the bottom in which the shadow is actually running off the edge of the screen so we don't see a shadow or it is so tight to the bottom that we're not getting a shadow or this shadow is just faded ever so slightly off the edge of that mark of the fish and you have to be able to discern that yourself and you can do so move that cursor over hit the zoom key and actually blow that image up a little bit right. just to help you out in seeing those details. And but, if you just got to the lake and you have to know how deep the fish are to run your baits, you just put an icon on it, turn around, get a little closer, you see the shadow. Mm -hmm. You just move the boat over 40 feet, you'll see the shadow, and then you'll know how deep it is. Yep, exactly. And, and what we're talking about, the distance between that fish mark and the shadow, think about it proportionally to your range. So if, if I see the fish let, let's say i've got a, a range of 100 feet i see the fish marked at 50 feet off to the right side of the boat and then i see the the shadow roughly a quarter of the screen further to the right that's roughly 25 feet okay yeah. so for example say that fish is suspended 25 feet off the bottom because the distance there between the fish and the shadow is a quarter of my range, mm -hmm. which is a hundred feet. So a quarter yep. of a hundred feet is a 25 foot separation yep. from the shadow on a fish. So yeah. roughly we can make that out to say that fish is suspended 25 feet off the bottom. Yep. Totally how, agree. How deep do you, do you feel that you always get a shadow? I mean, I, I seem to miss shadows after 50, 55 feet, somewhere in there. Well, that's the problem at, <laughs> at that depth. You're, cold, you're, you're running, you know, it's a pendulum. So mm -hmm. your hundred foot arm is swinging a pendulum. If you hit a fish mm -hmm. that's down twelve feet, but it's out of ways. I mean, it could be halfway across your screen. You're not going to pick it up. Yeah, mm -hmm. especially fish higher in the water column in deep water. That shadow is cast way, way out just because of, yeah, it's your so shadow close. Shadow could be two hundred feet out. Exactly. And in open water musky joint, your shadow usually is 100 to 200 feet away. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you just have to you have to get closer to the fish, even if it's just the first one. It will give you the clue whether you need 30 feet of line out or four feet of line. Yeah. 
But that's why I bring it up, because I want people to understand. You start losing it somewhere. I mean, in 40 feet of water, I can cast a shadow, mm -hmm. generally speaking, especially if I'm in sand. When you get into the mud, it gets a little bit more difficult to read. But there are also times when the actual fish, not the shadow, but the fish, I can actually see the tail and maybe even a fin. I mean, it, it's pretty amazing when you get in the deep water. When you start, are those little out, ones or big ones? They're generally, <laughs> <laughs> I think the big ones. Yeah, you can definitely see the tail. I mean, if, if they're within fifty feet of the boat, you're right. gonna see a fin and a tail if it's over forty-eight. Right. Well, you can see if they're swimming, which way they're headed. Exactly, and then a lot of people get thrown on the bait fish if the ciscos are tight and they're scared. You're gonna see white balls with the oblong shadow. If you have a really big muskie looking at the boat, you're going to see a white dot. But the shadow will be long, it, very long shadow. And then you know if it's a muskie it's looking at the boat or looking away from the boat. Generally speaking, they're usually pushing away from the boat at that point because you're on top of them. Correct. And, um, you know, it's all about density. And so if you have a bubbly density, it's probably bait fish. But if it's a solid line, mm -hmm. you pretty much know. Yeah, and I think that's important to note, too, because sometimes clouds of bait fish can take shape longer, skinny, and it's like, was that a, was that a muskie? But like you said, density is going to really be your key giveaway. And so the harder an object is, the better return it's going to show back to that transducer. Thus, a single object, like a muskie, a big, long one, is going to return a nice hard return, whereas bait fish even stretched out to say a 48 inch, you know, cluster of bait fish, they don't, they're not solid. You know, some of that sonar is making it through. You're not getting as strong of a return back to the transducer. So you're going to get, you know, that kind of cloudier return, hence the school of bait fish. But if you have a solid object, you know, that, that muskie is going to return that for you in a much different scenario than all those bait fish. So, you know, that's, that's yeah. one thing to keep in mind, like the strength and solidity of the returns are going to help you identify what you're looking at too. Yeah. When it's high noon and you got to, you know, your screen's dirty, even everybody's been touching it. Look at that. Look at that with us, you know, sunscreen all over their fingers and you haven't cleaned your screen. I I'll do that a lot. I'll see something. And then people will say, well, there's one. So wait, and it's just what Matt was talking about. There's seven Cisco's in the line. And it looks like a muskie, and it, you're, it's pretty bright white. If they're 21 in Cisco's and they're right together, and the second you go over with the cursor, and Brad, we, I remember we were doing this together. You go over, you hit that, zoom in, and it's lumpy. And muskies aren't lumpy. Yeah. And muskies are so big, you're, it's going to be pure white, and it's going to be smooth. Mm -hmm. On, honestly, Jeff, I think what we should do um, between the three of us, we could probably find several photos and. Um, Maybe we'll post them on Facebook and Instagram and kind of show the difference. Um, those photos would definitely kind of tie everything we're talking to, talking about, um, tie it together. That would certainly definitely help out a lot of people, I bet. You know, it, it's really interesting. I mean, as you progress and you, you start to learn what this really truly means, uh, it starts clicking for you. But to explain it without visually seeing it becomes a challenge. Especially, you know, if you're new to the technology, I would say it definitely is. Okay, speaking of new technology, I want to know about the new 360. <laughs> we all do. 
I don't. I actually, honestly, I just want to know what this is going to cost me. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. Yeah, I know. I mean, you got how many boats? You got to outfit, so that's uh, that's a problem. Two, only two that need to be outfitted. So and and a jet boat. Yeah, that's yours. You're on your own. Talk to Mel. Yeah. Well, so this year at ICAST, uh, you know, Hummingbird introduced a newer version of what we refer to as our 360 imaging. And 360 imaging is an accessory transducer that hooks up to Hummingbird units that I think is best described almost as an underwater radar. You know, I, I think a lot of people can really grasp that concept. And it takes the transducer and spins it around all the way around your boat in 360 degrees or even a customizable view window if you want to narrow it down to something specific. But you're looking at the entire bottom layout underneath your boat and surrounding your boat up to 125 feet in all directions. And what we've done is we've taken that technology and added our mega imaging to it. So we've taken... Uh, what we've got new this year, our Mega Imaging Plus uh, transducer elements, pack this into this 360 technology and are spinning that around to cover 125 feet all the way around your boat with mega detail and clarity. So um, the past couple of years, um, I've been playing around with the 360 technology musky fishing and found it to be very, very interesting. Um, for not only boat positioning, but when you get a fish both side, it's been a lot of fun. And it's got uh, some very neat applications that we can dive into. But I think, um, you know, just to, to cover the overall of 360, it's a, a trolling motor mounted application transducer that, uh, you know, today we've got that uh, compatible with our Minkota Alltrex motors, Fortrex and uh, Maxim motors, and um, that'll be compatible with, you know, any Hummingbird unit with Mega Imaging Plus, which equates to Solix G2 models and Helix G3N with Mega Imaging Plus. So um, very exciting that uh, we, we've kind of taken side imaging and, and gone from just left and right and started wrapping that picture all the way around the boat. I think that's the easiest way to really explain it. And okay. so you don't even have to be moving is kind of the neat part of this. Does it have to go on a trolling motor? It's a trolling motor mount uh, transducer. I mean, that's that's the application, you know, as of now. I mean, it's a really neat technology. So we'll see where anglers are looking for it in the future. And always we're always trying to listen to see, you know, what guys are looking for and, and what's most value, valuable to the angler. So, you know, if if we get enough demand for certain applications, that's what we always try to take into consideration when we design new products. So you, you originally had a transom mount for 360, correct? We did in the in the original version. Um, I think that one uh, for us wasn't as popular. I think because a lot of anglers like to see out in front of the boat, hence the trolling motor application for us in this new product. Whereas the transit mount, everyone said, well, that's kind of looking back behind the boat. So the positioning of the transducer on the boat seemed more critical at the bow than it was the transom. Um, you know, to, to each their own. <laughs> so 
Well, I generally fish out the port side. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm thinking mid-boat, looking out basically, you know, 90 degrees off the center line of the boat. I, I honestly, I think that that could be really cool. I've, I've seen a couple people even fashion uh, a couple uh, mounts themselves to mount, say, on a rail or a track system right. that either tilts in or, or manually deploys in because they've seen the value in that technology. And it's neat to see uh, that application. And we, we're always trying to take that into consideration to see, like, hey, you know, is that an uh, uh, application in which a lot of people would embrace uh, using this technology? And now that you've got that clarity and detail of that Mega Imaging Plus, it's uh, it's really going to start to resonate with a lot of guys. I mean, we've we're we're still getting those those tail shots, you know, the headshots of these fish where you're making out. Okay, I know what that kind of fish is. That really cool stuff. That's uh, really been a resounding um, uh, appreciation from anglers for that detail, but. Um, I think in terms of musky fishing and what I've personally seen out of 360, even before the, the mega 360, I think it's got a lot of application when you're talking boat positioning on brake lines, weed edges, um, even making sure you don't run over certain spots. You know, let's say you're going down a brake line and a big point sticks out and you're fishing a lake for the first time. And, Oh shoot! We just ran over the inside turn. <laughs> um, you know, it's it plays really well for those things to to make sure you're not blowing up a spot or even spotting fish anywhere around the boat. So, um, the last couple of years, I've toyed around with that uh, many times. When we've got a better fish that comes in and just doesn't go the first time, quick wolf we'll flip full screen to 360 and say, where did it go? Because that fish usually hangs around the boat, and I'll zoom it in to say roughly 50-foot range, and that fish is hanging around the boat somewhere. It may be out in front of us. It may be behind the boat. It may be off the deep edge where we never would have casted before. Um, Brad, you and I were talking about uh, a trip I had last year where we raised the same fish eight different times because we kept spotting it on 360 and we just kept pivoting the boat on the edge of these weeds and it goes we go okay he's off the backside and we we flip the boat cast at him this way bring him back in flip it back the other way because we saw him off the back corner and the cool thing is too i mean you can even see you know in these sonar images of 360 you can see the bubble trail of someone's rod tip as they're figurating. So it's no worry whatsoever to actually see a fish, you know, come in behind your bait on a figure eight. So it, it makes it really interesting when um, you're trying to locate maybe a stubborn fish or one that just needs a little extra effort to get to go and it can make all the difference. Put your bait right in front of that fish's nose, as opposed to blindly casting and hope, you know, yeah, that, that bigger fish is going to come back on a whim. So that that's the advantage that I see yeah. with 360 versus SI. I mean, it it's constant because it's like that radar, like you mm -hmm. said. Um, you can pinpoint those casts versus okay, I know the fish is there. 
Yeah, uh, and, and that's what intrigues me. Oh, that's awesome. I'm seeing a picture right now. This is yeah. well, that's a tail. tail yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a guy figure eight and off the backside of the ball. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Um, I have a question for you. Um, I've used the three six, the old three sixty side imaging mm -hmm. in a buddy's boat. I don't mm -hmm. own it. Um, what's going to happen with the speed? What What are we thinking top speed is for this to work? Can you troll muskies with it? I guess is my question. Well, considering that it's a trolling motor mounted application, this this new product, I mean, right? But all of us are we're all going to make our own bracket. Right, right, right. But would it would it work? And I want mine in the back because I have no bounce. Mm -hmm. Big waves, troll motors bouncing. Yeah, could distort your view. I want mine in the back. I'll make my own mount, no problem. Okay, that's where I'm at, right? Yeah, I'm weird like that. I get a you. bunch of my buddies are the same way, right? And that's in I'll, maybe I'll have both. I don't know. Or try to buy both. <laughs> See what my wife says. Yeah. But um, if, I mean, wouldn't that be great if we could have a, yeah, an 11 graphs in the boat so we can see every view of full screen? Um, no, Brad, what, you what can't you, have 11 graphs. I'm you only sure need we could six. figure it out. You only need six. Three on the dash and three at your feet. How many batteries do you need for that? No, how many birds? You only need two for six graphs. If you have Lawrence, you need 12 batteries for six graphs. So as far as speed for this, um, the faster you go to a certain point, you would need to widen out your range because what would happen is you'd be covering so much water between the, the refresh rate. So keep in mind that because it's a radar style of sonar, it's got almost like a wiper blade. Yep. It's, it's, it's got spinning. a two-edge refresh. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So, so it's two edge still. Yeah. So it doesn't take that long because it can't go really fast or everything would be tiny, right? Right. And it's if not it, spinning like right. this. Right. If it goes really, really fast, then your image is distorted. It's just like when you're turning the boats. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so the idea is it'll refresh automatically. You don't need to turn the transducer manually. It's all just doing it on its own. So the nice thing about that is you can be turning your trolling motor. The image doesn't distort. You can be using spot lock, image doesn't distort. Nice. Um, and that's that that's one of the advantages. The other is sonar coverage. I mean, we're we're talking up to 360 degrees around your boat, yep. but there's four presets. You've got a front looking view, you've got a rear looking view, uh, a port and starboard looking view presets. Or mm -hmm. do you really want to so dial let's it say in? we're on the front view? Yep. Is it is it still spinning in a circle? Nope. So so it's, it's just gonna, it's going to hit and do the 180 update. Ah, yeah. So so at three miles an hour and 120 feet in front of the boat, mm -hmm. you're gonna in open water, which makes everything simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this well casting. You could because you're going slower. Yeah. I wouldn't be cruising down a break line at four and a half miles an hour looking for a muskie before right. I cast it. Right. That's what Meg is for. I have. Mega's awesome, right? So I can go down a brake line at four miles an hour. Yep, exactly. So let's say I'm trolling at three miles an hour. I have it on just the front view, and I'm running my Mega in the back. Right. Right. So now I can see all my fish on the sides like I always have been able to. Mm -hmm. But can I adjust my boat? If I'm short line trolling uh, and I'm not running a mass system or, mm -hmm. or even short line amount boards, would you think it would have enough time at 125 feet? To change directions or in terms of shoot out in front of the boat doing four and a half miles. No, three, three. I feel about three and a half. Three, oh, okay. three. Sorry. Do you think that would? I'm I'm trying to do the math on three and a half miles an hour. 
and how fast that wiper goes. But I, what I've seen in that doing about two and a half with the trolling motor running about a hundred, I cover about 50 feet at two and a half. So then if you crank it out to 125, three and a half, I think you're covered there. The whole idea is what you don't want to happen is you skip off the screen, right? And have a gap in information. You always sure. want to be able to have that overlap of information. So you're always staying current. On Great. This. Yep. And, and given the effective range of mega 360 shooting out 125 feet, even out in front of your boat, it, mm -hmm. which is the application we're talking about, that should allow you plenty of range out ahead that you're not going to cover more than 125 feet, especially you can take that window and customize the beam width. Uh -huh. and so if you take that from 180 degrees and close that down to say 50, 60, if you want, or even 30, yeah. uh, even 30 in a custom, it's going to update really fast. Yeah, I would think you control no problem. Right. Exactly. So it just depends. Because like, if my boards are all 30 feet on each side, I only need to see 60 feet in front of me. Right. In case I'm going to run one over. So let's, let's take this on the other aspect. Yeah. We could probably use this 360, narrow that field of view, and watch our baits as we're trolling. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. So you know if you got to follow, you know, you're, you're watching your bait swim. Oh, there's a fish on second line. Yeah. yeah. It, and the cool thing about this, too, is because uh, this connects to a fish finder, and if you have a heading sensor GPS plug plugged into your unit, it's all calibrated on compass headings. So I can sit there and still, just like side imaging, move my cursor over, drop a waypoint on something, and it'll show up on my map. But on the 360 screen, if I come back to that waypoint and that enters my field of view, that'll show up on my 360 screen. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, for guys who are coming up closer to a piece of structure, let's say on a shoreline or something like that, yeah. it's like, oh, that's what I marked. You know, you get yeah. the visual and, you know, it's just nice to be able to see that waypoint mark, not only on the chart yeah. side, but on the sonar side right. as well. So um, it, there's what well, you said alone for boat control is that's half the key to catching fish. Yeah. Half the time you can bring three baits out there. The guy who drives the boat better catches more fish. Yeah. And the guy with 3,000 baits. So if you have what would pretty much give you perfect boat control at casting speed. Right. And, and for years, I used side imaging for that. Even yeah, and it's a lapse. It's a lapse. It, you know, it, right? It's, it's not. Nice. 20 feet behind. Yeah. And even when you had side imaging up on a trolling motor, lower unit, yeah. if you ran an independent deucer up there, it was nice. But still, you couldn't see in front of the boat. Right. Right. You, you couldn't tell, am I about to run over a point that I had no idea is in front of me? Yep. With 360, you know, I, I orient my screen so I can see out in front of the boat. So it's like, oh, okay, shoot. I can see where it goes from mud to weeds right there. I know that comes out. I need to pitch this boat in a 90-degree right turn. We're fishing off the port side of the boat. We're going to hit that inside turn nicely with Cass before we blow it up. Yep. And and oftentimes it saves you from running over the best spots of Correct. The, the whole edge because those are those changes and those transitions in the structure too. Yeah. So, yeah, if you don't know the lake with Mega, you pretty much end up not casting the inside turn and blowing the point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, exactly. Oh. Huge well, that's factor. Cool. Huge factor.
So what else did you introduce? Is there other stuff that? I got a question. Yeah. How much is it? Uh, that'll retail for eleven ninety nine. And it's just an add-on. So as long as you already have your your unit and the trolling motor, you're golden. Yep. It, so on the Altrex version, it bolts right up to the threaded uh, inputs right on the front of the Altrex, and then on a Fortrex or Maxim version, that is a clamp style mount that clamps right to the upper tube of those motors. So what's a Tarova? Tarova is not compatible right now. Ugh. Not buying a new trolling motor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see this being on the, on the, literally on the port side of my boat. Mounting into the rail. Mine will be too. Or the back, because that's the most stable part. I feel like I'd get a better picture. But what, what does a lower unit do to me? Does it, that can be, we'll have a big, Will it hit the lower unit, I assume? So, yeah, let's say you've got it mounted on a trolling motor, and on the back, you'll see just ever so slightly grayed out portion of Just a little, unit. okay. All right. But it does not, it does not, like, blur out the entire Sure, thing. I, I yep. see it in the picture there. Yep. Very yeah. minimal. It really, what you're doing is just kind of obscuring the upper portion of the water column for a narrow swatch sure. behind the boat. Gotcha. But at that point, if you think about it, if you're moving forward, You've already run right over the top of those fish in right. the upper yeah. portion of the water column behind the boat. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it, it, you're not really missing that much. You're gaining the other 340 degrees yeah. field of view yeah. around your boat. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was just. Yeah. It's all really good application, like in-depth conversation, and, yeah. and I enjoy that too because. Um, you know, it's it's cool to talk about the technology's top level stuff, and you know, talk about you know, the, the key advantages, but when we start talking about application of it is where it gets fun because um, when you get into something as specific as musky fishing is where you can say, well, these couple of button to put pushes right here on the graph makes it do this. Like we we're talking about yeah. watching fish come into the boat, figuring out where they're positioned. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun last year uh, fishing and spotted one on 360 and it said hey there's a fish over there pointed out at three o'clock 20 feet out to the right side of the boat so drag your drag your bait pass there and three seconds later caught that fish nice and when we got that fish in the net it was like a 38 inch right mm -hmm. so it, it was it was a decent fish but it was it was no uh replica worthy fish yeah. but still we, we both said wow all right so that's that's a really neat thing that we were able to say, we never saw that fish. It stopped short of the boat, but we were able to capitalize on a fish that we never saw and probably would have run over with any other sort of sonar technology because he was out to the right and we we're going to turn as this reef turned too. He was sitting right on the inside turn. Sure. And say, like, oh shoot, you know, killed the motor, caught the fish, and then kind of put all the puzzle pieces together. And that's when it was like, wow, the value of this as a sonar all the way around your boat. Yeah. That, that's really, really neat. Yeah, that's awesome. And the best part, I I mean, I guide walleyes from in Red Wing starting mm -hmm. in March, and I'm there until middle of January yeah. when it's not after muskie closes. Um, and I'm on Winnie, I'm on Malax, so um, the St. Croix River, the, all those bodies of water, the pitch, uh, pitch and jigging wrap bite mm -hmm. is so fun. And with Mega, 
I mean, it's gotten to a point now where you're sitting on a school of fish that are, you know, barely sucking on a crawler. Well, those 60 fish in that school are just dormant sitting there. Well, there's the fish outside of that school are cruising around. You have two guys in the front of the boat pulling crawlers and you can stand in the back of the boat jigging wrap with in another client and just have them watch the mega with you. Say, see those three there, 60 feet to the right, cast right there. Yep. Cast out, bam, got it, bam, got it. Now we could all four of us do it with the 360. Right, and and I think that's why it it's starting to resonate with a lot of guys because it mega makes sense. The clarity of the pictures makes sense. Now that we put that in a full surround of the boat, people are like, okay, I'm not yeah. I'm not looking just left and right. And I think that was that and you know just the independent mounting like it's always just going to be circling on its own i don't have to manually manipulate that i think you know those two reasons along with some other features of that technology were some of the reasons why at icast this year that was named best new electronics product for 2019 so it's pretty cool to to be coming out with you know stuff that the industry recognizes as you know true innovations so lots of fun and uh you know, pleasure to get on the water and start to toy with this stuff. Uh, I'm excited. We're still ramping up. Those will start shipping December. So we'll be in full force come next open water season with those. Awesome. I'm going to guess the bass guys are going to just flip out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, there is the walleye guys too. Walleye, bass. They're moving so slow. You're musky. just for everything. There's, there's Even, a lot of applications. Yeah. yeah. The crappie guys down south, very, very the crappie guys up here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Or the bluegill guys. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Two of them might be sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, picking out fish out of beds. I mean, you see these little dish pans, and you see just a little bright white mark in there. Almost looks like a Tic Tac. Yeah. And it's a nice big crappie sitting in its bed. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Good stuff. What do you think, Jeff? I'm, uh, I'm busy over here. Well, listening to you guys, but I'm also dealing with, um, so you know that storm that came through, Brad? Um, apparently, my dock up at Pelican Lake is missing, and my boat is somewhere out in the middle of the lake. Yeah, that's not good. No, so it looks like I'm probably going north tomorrow to go find a pontoon boat in the middle of the lake. It's your pontoon? Yeah. Not cool. No, it's not that great. I saw pictures from, like... Not on the shore somewhere did a did a tornado actually hit i i don't know i guess they had like 80 mile an hour winds up there like the i saw some pictures from like the one of the neighboring campgrounds and that thing looks like a bomb went off in the middle of it oh not cool well so i've been listening to you guys dealing with that going like ah, oh, this is just not what i want to do on a saturday but uh, i'm guessing it's probably still floating somewhere somybody's gonna find it you hope I don't know at this point. Pretty hard <laughs> to sink. Yeah. Well, as long as it didn't pick it up and move it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, pretty hard to sink a pontoon as long as it's not upside down in a tree somewhere. Right. Well, with that being said, um, do you have any thoughts for these guys? Any questions? Well, I mean, I, I guess I got a question for like us musky guys. Most of us are running Tarovas and Alteros. Is there is that something that's going to come in the future? Do you think? That's a tough question, Jeff, but <laughs> I, I got to make sure that uh, uh, I stay within my bounds here. But, um, you know, that said, I think this technology is 
very applicable to a lot of different species and a lot of different, you know, guys fishing different boats. Maybe they're not using Altrexes, uh, Fortrexes, uh, or Maxims. And that means that there's a whole host of guys running Alteras, Tarobas, um, that would be looking for a technology like this. And I think, you know, that's definitely resonated with us. Um, and for us to come out with a technology like this and not take into consideration um, a section of our consumers, I think would be something that uh, would be out of character for us. Well, I, I would say this, Matt Cook. Um, Matt Seifert and I both um, were guides, and then we know tons of different guides. But generally speaking, we're all running Tarovas because we guide from the back of the boat. And so that becomes a huge issue for us. But honestly, I see, like you said it earlier, Matt, um, I see us building our own mounts, you know. Yeah, for now. Something will come out, I'm sure. I mean, something always comes out. Yeah. There's a lot of little goofball ideas out there already for different types of transducers from different companies. But um, I've seen, like, Bob, he's crazy. Bob Benson, in a good way. He'll put he'll strap on every transducer from every company on a riptide with sixteen pounds of different transducers on there and rip it off and not even care because he gotta see so much cool stuff. Um he'll buy like Fortrex type mounts you can buy that drop in the water next to your trolling motor. And those ripped off because he's looking for fish at eight miles an hour. But there's we're not gonna do that with the three sixty. There's a lot of options. I'm sure there'll be other things that come out as well. Yeah. So and we're, we're sitting here talking a couple weeks after it launched. So, I mean, there's there are a ton of smart engineers sitting in our offices that I'm sure are, you know, going to go back in the office on Monday and continue to work up different ideas of how to apply, you know, our top technologies in different ways. So, um, you know, there's there's a limit to what they, they will share with some of us. So. For, for good reason, because I'll start pestering them and, and asking too many questions because I get too excited as well. But, um, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun to see where it can go. And, you know, uh, upon launch, you know, that's that's just first iteration for us. And we don't tend to, you know, come out with one thing and leave it alone. We keep trying to make it better. So I, I think you'll continue to see that with this product, too. I, that's the beauty of, of Humminbird. You're innovative. You're coming out with some really cool stuff. And you can see fish on it. <laughs> that's the bonus plan. All the fish. At what point is that cheating? It is getting ridiculous now. It is. It's kind of... We have not come up with a device to put the hook in the fish's mouth, though. Yeah. yeah. You sure. still got to drive it. That one's still on the angler. You know? Yeah. yeah. Or the bait manufacturer. Yeah. True. Yeah. And we all know how difficult that can be with muskies. So <laughs> the problem is it's so much fun to look at and it helps your boat control, but you got to remember to drive the boat still. <laughs> but, and look where you're going. Yeah. It's so amazing to me um, being where, where I'm at age wise. Um, Oh, here we go. <laughs> old school. Old school. It's, it's been a while since we hit the old school comment. We took the paper graph out of this boat yesterday. <laughs> no. <I'm just> <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with paper graphs. Paper graphs are really cool. They're just, you don't need them in your musky boat. Paper graphs were cool. Um, 
but no, honestly, I mean, the amount of uh, technology that I've seen over my career fishing, it's incredible. It truly, truly is. And I, I think that, you know, as these changes happen, we, we just keep getting better. But at the end of the day, still, the operator of the boat, boat control, still becomes a big, huge factor. And you can outperform your electronics when it comes to boat control. And um, I, th- I think it's forgotten, you know. Um, honestly, if you run from depth over running with your map cards, it's still, it's a huge factor. Would you agree with that, Matt? I mean, I... Yeah, I get asked the question all the time. Why don't you use your uh, remote control? Because I'm not trolling walleyes with a kicker. That's why. I'm busy. I'm musky fishing. Um, I have I stare at my graph all day. Client's rods, graph. Client's rods, graph. And there's no replacement. It's so fun now, and all these guys are learning spots that we thought were secrets, you know, cause not because we're smarter than anybody. We're just out there more. We find stuff. You know, we try to keep it as low key as possible if it's a sweet spot. Now it's all readily available to you. But you still have to drive your boat, right? Absolutely. So that's... To me, and a map chip's a map chip. I run Lake Masters. Um, I used to use Lorances, and I ran Lake Masters. I always liked Lake Master the best. A lot of guys that I knew when I was running Lorances liked Navionics. I didn't, but that was me. You know, everybody's different. But it's, well, it doesn't matter which chip you like. They're not right. They're close, and they're really close, but they're not perfect. How can a boat drive around a lake for two weeks, you know, and get every inch of it at 40 miles an hour. It's just, it's not reasonable. There's so many nooks and crannies at that speed. A weed bed could look like a rock shelf. It could, it can tell you the depth's different. And when the weeds aren't up there, you know, it depends when they mapped it. There's always, and a lot of them, especially now the new chips are, I don't I haven't run Navioc in years, but the new Lake Master chips so awesome. I can pull up on any lake and be right 79% of the time. And if it is, it's like two little spots at a weed point that I didn't know was out that far or something. It's so minuscule now, but there, that's where your operator will always win because depth is key and you have to look at it. So, mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And the other thing that I can say, you know, Matt said that he, he was never an avionic guy, but there was times on certain bodies of water, avionics ruled. But with Humminbird making the change of being able to, you know, color select your depths, all of a sudden, Lake Master became the key. And um, honestly, that is a huge feature that Humminbird offers, um, being able to shade a certain depth of water. So, yeah, there's some adjustability in there, too. I mean, we talk, you know muskies and bigger bodies of water too and we get fluctuating water levels right so there may be full pool when they map that body of water but sure. if, let's say you're down three feet yeah on that body of water and you're like oh all my contours are off well you can go into that lake master settings menu and go in there and subtract three feet and set all your contours level to present day levels so i mean that's that is one nice I thing too that. yeah so that really pays off when, let's say, you're running your shallow water highlight to yeah. make sure you're not going to run over any shallow spots or hazards. So, you know, let's say you highlight five foot and less in red with shallow water highlight and you yep. knock it down 
the three feet for low water. Yep. Now you know that five foot on the map is five foot on the map, and you're not going to be running over shallow water unintentionally. Sure. Yep. So it's a just another way to dial in your unit and your map chip all at the same time. So it's it's really nice to have the adjustability and the customization in those maps, and not just say, well. Here's depth contours and that's it. You you do have control over those map settings and and once you start doing that color shading like you were talking about, Brad, you start to watch some of those those humps and those drop offs come to life and pop right off the screen with that color added. Yeah, hands down. I, I was just in Canada a week ago, you know, and we said anything five foot or shallower in red. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that you need to stay away from that when you're driving the boat. So I mean, it, it's only going to save your prop. You know what I mean at that point. Um, or your skeg. Yeah, your skeg, whatever it might be. But I, it's important, and it's an unbelievable feature. You know, one thing that I might add here is that Matt Cook and I have talked a little bit, and I would love to see Matt Cook come on a couple more times every year with this this podcast and basically present new details to the technology that's out there with Humminbird. Um, maybe that's quarterly, maybe it's whatever, but I, uh, it's something that I think that we definitely should investigate for the future of this podcast. Yeah, I agree. We've talked about that off air a few times, Brad, and I think, I think definitely for sure. Um, circling back one thing, I know that Matt, you talked about it on the first podcast that you were on about how to do the depth color shading. Do you know off the top of your head again, what button pushes they got to do in order to do that depth change is for the water level offset, the depth highlight and the shallow water highlight on a helix. Those are all in the same menu. Um, you would hit menu twice and you'd scroll over to the hummingbird tab on there. And that's called your hummingbird chart menu. And you'd scroll down and you'll see depth highlight, shallow water highlight and water level offset. Um, your depth highlight, you pick a select depth, and then you set it to that, and then it'll say plus or minus. So if I set my depth highlight to 20 and do plus or minus a 2, that will highlight in green on the map between 18 and 22 feet all the way around the, the entire lake in green. My shallow water highlight, if I set that to, say, 5, it'll be 5 foot and less on the lake will be in red all the way around. Like you said, Brad, to highlight any shallow areas, make sure you don't accidentally run up over a mid-lake bar. Uh, that would surprise me. And then the water level offset, um, it's either plus or minus however many feet that you're noticing. Uh, your current digital depth display is off consistently from the contour lines. So let's say I go fish three different spots on the lake notice that my lake master chart says it's three feet deeper than my transducer is actually reading Um, what i'd want to do there is actually um, adjust that for three feet so in that instance it would be uh, minus three feet and it would knock all my contours back three feet so um, instead of being off three feet my transducer depth would sync up exactly with my contour line depths which I could see would be really huge on a lot of reservoirs. I mean, if anybody out there has, uh, say, been to Tennessee or Kentucky, when you go to Kentucky, you know, you're on Cave Run. The first time I was down there, I'm like, 
these access ramps are like a hundred yards long. And I'm like, what is going on here? And I looked at Greg Thomas and he's like, well, that's for when the water's high. And I'm like a hundred yards, but that's reality. You know, when you're on a reservoir like that, that fluctuates that much water depth, it's huge. I mean, it, it's truly phenomenal actually. Yeah. I didn't even know we could do that. Good to know. <laughs> I fish the crow and we have 11, 12 foot water difference every spring. Right. Matt Seifert learned something on this podcast. Can you believe that? I can learn. I can learn lots of stuff. I can barely turn. A <laughs> I can barely turn a computer on. <laughs> I can put your mega. I can put your mega transducer on better than most people, and I'll show you how to see fish better. But I don't know any of the other stuff. <laughs> You're not even that old. If you were no, days, I'm looking old. I fish too much. I'm 37. I hate computers. I only I can barely write an email on my iPhone. I don't own a computer or anything. I don't have a see. I don't have a website. I have nothing. I got rid of it. I hated it. Twelve years younger than me, and and he's maybe more old school than I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you have a difficult time composing an email on an iPhone, yep, I think, I think you're more old school than Brad. <laughs> I won something finally. I was going to say, I didn't think we could even do it. I think last time I looked, I got a couple hundred uh, emails I had never looked at on my phone. That's good. So call or text if you need to get a hold of these. <laughs> and I don't like texting either. Just call me. <laughs> You're 37 you don't like to text? No. That's why I text, why would I all text the time? when I get... <laughs> I'm usually driving or fishing, and I it takes eight minutes to text something when I can say it in three seconds. Yeah, maybe I'm old school, I guess. <laughs> he doesn't answer the phone either when you call him. So nope, not if I'm fishing. Fortunately, he answers when we have a podcast, so that's good. Or he comes over to your house; that's even better. Yeah, I got him trapped here yeah. in the basement. Yeah. Well, should we should we talk about fishing for a little bit? I mean, we've we've kind of talked about fishing a little bit. It's been more you know hummingbird, but. That's typical for us. Yeah, well, I mean, what else is there to talk about? I mean, it's the, the most advanced part of the technology. I mean, honestly. We could talk about actually catching. Oh, well, we haven't caught a fish in three years, but <laughs> but we got some cool electronics. <laughs> we got lots of screenshots <laughs> of our screenshots yeah. and graph follows. And, um, Where do you want to go, Jeff? Lay it on us. We're, I think we're going to beat the record for the longest podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, unless we start wrapping up, like right now when we wrap up the fastest we've ever done, it is going to be the longest one for sure. All right. But did you expect anything else? I mean, Brad, we haven't talked, we haven't done a podcast where we actually like recorded it. I've talked to you on the phone a few times, but we haven't done a podcast in like, I don't know, it seems like two or three weeks. Well, it hasn't been that long, but it, it feels that way. It was before the 4th of July, so I don't know, 15 days probably. Yeah, good point. It's been two weeks. Last time I talked to you, I was busy doing yard work at midnight. <laughs> That's true. Well, where do you want to go with this? Well, I was thinking maybe we could talk, uh, I don't know, baits. Like what, what's been working on the water, what depths we're finding fish at, something. I don't know. If we, we, we Feel free to talk about whatever you want, but I thought maybe we could start there. Sounds good. Let's lay it on Matt Cook first here. He... Uh, he actually was up in Canada a couple of weeks ago, and um, and from there, I don't even know where you've been fishing, Matt. So, well, with with ICAST the last couple of weeks, right. I haven't. I've been in uh, trade shows and in airports, unfortunately. But uh, 
you know, uh, with fishing, uh, right up before ICAS, like you said, we were up in Canada. Um, it was kind of that post spawn up there. It was still kind of late, but those fish were just getting ready to go. They're still laying up in those shallows, you know, up on those first break lines. And even up there, you've got more of that natural shoreline. We had a lot of fish coming off of down trees, which was a lot of fun. You get those really cool ambushes. Yeah, and, that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, but up there, I mean, we had a lot of changing weather. I mean, we get a day and a half of stable weather, then day and a half of storms. And then you get post frontal. And so we kept having changing conditions the whole time we were up there. And, um, you, we would, we would go back to what we were at successful at the previous day try that a couple hours you know try the same type of baits same type of spots okay that's not working okay let's let's think how, how are we going to audible what's changed and we're we're constantly sitting back trying to read these fish um you know we 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 ended up having uh you know a day and a half of kind of that post or almost post frontal but still kind of the back end where you get Bluebird sky days, but high winds and high heat and just those miserable days. And we we're like, okay, so the fish aren't where they were. What are we doing? And, you know, we, we got up on shallow sand and some rocks in those high winds, which miserable boat control conditions. Uh, you know, I was, I was running the boat in 25 mile an hour winds and I was getting one cast to every three of my boat partners, but you know, we ended up catching a lot of our fish on blades uh, up there, but it, it varied everything from slow rolling to fast cranking over that sand in, in those shallow rocks. Um, so I couldn't say there was a consistent pattern. It was a lot of just reading the fish and the changing conditions. And I, I think, you know, just looking at the weather and so, some of the other fishing I've done this year, it's been kind of an up and down weather year, like very extreme. And I think you know, from my experience, that's, that's been a tough read this year. I mean, we had a great trip, but it was a big grind every day to try and figure it out. It was a new pattern every day. And um, I don't know if you've seen that this year, Matt, with all the big weather. <laughs> yeah, everything just, storms. It's like fronts. everything's looking good. Uh, even with the walleye fishing, it started in May. Everything was looking good. All of a sudden, it's hot, then it's cold, right when you expected it to continue the trend. It's kind of been extremes um, of hot and cold. So so here's a question for you. I mean, because I think a lot of guys, including myself, I'm not going to put myself on any sort of <laughs> tier. Um, but, you know, we, when you get those changing conditions, those extremes, I mean, how do you break that down and approach that? Because I think that's one of those perplexing scenarios when you go from a stable weather pattern to just all heck breaks loose oh you know well yeah or they just stop biting it's musky fishing mm -hmm. that's the bummer i guess this podcast is more musky based or is musky based so we'll talk that but i mean it's it's really frustrating the first thing you do is get mad especially <laughs> <laughs> you have clients from another country that came for five days uh but it's uh with the network i mean we i talked to brad i talked to luke i talked to bob uh, a lot of different guides i talked to. and that helps uh, so we have a good network 
sometimes that's all it takes if if the fish have just changed but they're still biting um man we're on the water a lot um we've seen it happen a lot of times before when the fish change but with extreme weather it can just shut them down and the fish you can catch might be in a really weird spot that you haven't done in eight years and uh a lot of times it's a friend that tips you off um you run around like a chicken with your head cut off and burn a whole tank of gas and try every spot and every bait in the boat typical muskies aren't biting activity um but the the number one thing now is the water that's kind of changed the last three years so these three week oh we can't catch them for three weeks that doesn't happen anymore ever not with the guys using mega we go out and find them it doesn't take long we go out and get them if they're out there we find them and before it was like find a needle in a haystack sure now it's one guide calls, texts five guides and says, who wants to go check it? You go check it. Okay, I'll check it. I'll text you back. You go out there for five hours with an older couple or something. They say, I got good people. They want to troll me. Okay, you go out there. Five hours later, you check three basins. And you know, it's come to that simple. It's when the fish throw a loop for you on turnover and they're a foot of scum eating frogs, you know. In Canada, when you thought they were supposed to be on deep break lines with bulldogs, that's when it's really tough. Yeah, like, I I think that's important too. I mean, it, sometimes for me, I use my electronics in ways that I just take for granted. But like, I think the importance of our success came from knowing when to quit a spot. Like having trust in your electronics gives you faith in leaving a spot that you've caught fish on or seen fish yeah, on. Yeah, or not even fishing it. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, like, you know, you know, in certain parts of Canada, it's unmapped, whether it be Lake Master, Navionics, whatever. So sometimes you've got, you know, the ability to lay down an auto chart map, right? In real time, you're mapping the water and, and doing that. At the same time, you're running side imaging because you know it's a decent spot, just want to get a lay of the land. You're like, there's no fish here. Right. You know, there may be fish here. They may move up. Especially on in the spring with sporadic weeds like that. You can see every fish. Yep. It, exactly. Yeah. When there's when, yeah. when there's no weeds, it's it's great because you get fabulous shadows. But I mean we we fished, you know, up in that general area, you know, up around Sioux Narrows, um, for a number of years. And you know, have a general idea that time of year when we're going up of what our attack plan is, but it's never here's the milk run because it's never going to be the same. And yeah. so going up there, it's like, even if we go to a spot that we've got a lot of confidence in, if we're not starting to see fish on the sonar or, you know, see evidence of this stuff setting up, let's say it's a weed spot and we're not seeing any weeds. Like we're out of here. Like the main holding structure is not here. Like why yeah, we, exactly. we're not going to waste our time. Um, you know, if it's a rock spot and we think it's going to set up, Hey, just crank that range out and see if there's any fish laying up on the rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. we're not going to waste an hour moving around this huge rock reef. Yeah. So you end up becoming so much more efficient. And that's, that's one of the things for us that has changed in the last number of years. Mm. End up wasting a lot less time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think, yeah, to fully answer your question, I guess with the, with the mega imaging, you could go out, and find fish in open water. If you're not catching fish and you thought you've checked everything, go out and look in the open water. That's the first place to look, in my mind. Mm -hmm. That's how I do it. 
whether I'm right or not, who knows. But I go there because it's easy. You can see everything. It's very simple. Muskies aren't dumb. If when it's a, you know, they're going to go to, if a thermocline is developing like now on a lot of the lakes, it got so hot so fast and fish are shut down in the warmer water lakes. It's almost getting to a point now where we can't even fish anymore if it gets any warmer. Um, so these fish have gone completely. So you've got open water is the easiest to check. And then I go to the ultra shallows. I've already fished the break lines. That's where we're catching them. Now they're gone or they're not biting. I can see any muskies outside of the weed edge and the inside weed edge. And in a lot of lakes, I can see the muskies in the cabbage. Mm-hmm. But if you have a forest of six foot tall coontail with 12 foot cabbage coming out of it and they go down in there, you're not going to see them. And no graph's going to show them to you. So that's where they are because they can't walk. So, right. Right. <laughs> if you checked ultra shallow and you checked, you know, and you're going to see them on your graph at ultra shallow. Mm-hmm. It's like Steve Herbick told me one time, where do you think they are in the trees? <laughs> you know, they're in the lake. Um, yeah. I find it interesting. I mean, Ty Senate, um, the camp that I was in in Canada a week ago, um, he's up there every year around 4th of July and he will not fish any of those Canadian bays unless he sees a muskie in them. And he's using his side imaging. And basically, if there's no fish there, he goes to the next bay. Um, you talk about efficiency, Matt. And mm-hmm. truly, truly, that's as efficient as it comes when it comes to muskie fishing. Mm-hmm. I mean, why waste the cast? Why waste the energy unless you see the fish? Right. Um, truly remarkable. It really is. You know, How are we doing talking about fishing? I'd say we're doing pretty good. Oh, okay. I thought we were talking about side imaging again. Well, it did, I mean, we were we were doing pretty good. Of course, Brad had to, Brad had to bring it right back to that. I think we all did. I think Brad's getting a kickback on the side. Yeah. I think we did rush on it when we started to about kind of what's been happening lately. I don't have a lot to report, but uh, open water bite was good for a short time. It was a struggle at the beginning. There are some fish left in the open water, uh, even on the warm lakes. Um, some are still out there doing their thing. Starting to see most fish not having any spawning scars on them anymore. Um, and here, I'm fishing near Brad now. Um, it's been tough. Uh, the last five days were extremely hot, extremely calm. And fish are were moving Monday. And by today, we saw one today. It was horrible. Um, and I've... Today a storm rolled in, so we actually moved the fish shallow, and we've been moving fish very deep. Um, we caught on Wednesday, that was in deep as well, uh, not open water, but deep break lines. But uh, yeah, I think with it's supposed to be cold tonight in this area. It should tomorrow should be a better day, hopefully. But it's supposed to get hot again next week. But the fish will adjust. They just need time. They just got into their open water mood when this hot water hit, when they were finishing up. So. Maybe a little too warm to slide it up and digest after being in 63 degree water. So, yeah, and I think weather has become a huge, huge issue this year. I mean, I told Carrie the other day, I don't know that I've been in my rain gear this many days in one year, um, <laughs> probably in the last 10 years. You know, I, I mean, it's rained every other day for the whole month of June and now we're in July and it, it really hasn't changed a whole ton. Um, but honestly, we need some cool rain. We need to cool down the water temps again. 
um, it's getting to that point where you're almost like unplugging, like, Hey, I'm going to have to cancel trips here. Um, I don't know. I'm hoping that it starts cooling back down. Um, I think the fish are just like, what is going on? And, and it's been the last three years. It's been like this where we go from cold water, cold water, cold water, and boom, overnight, it's like cooking hot. So it, it makes things tough. And, um, when that, that kind of transition happens, it's a struggle. It always is. So, yeah, I was thinking about that today in the boat. Uh, me and a friend, Brian Truex, who used to guide in Bemidji, were fishing a couple of years ago, and there was a cold front in July. And we thought, we we talked about it for about 20 minutes, how awful cold fronts in July are. Like, everything's warming up. You, summer peak started. You're getting five a day. They just came in from the open water. Everything's perfect. You know, and normally the open water bite's done when the water hits 70. Well, they didn't start till 70 this year. So now we got this 78-degree temperature, and they're just finishing up open water bite. So now I thought cold fronts were the worst thing. Oh, God forbid they shut down for two and a half days. <laughs> now we're on, like, day seven of shutdown. Some guys caught Friday, Saturday around here. and um, But now, I mean, it's just brutal out there. So I guess if you're going to go on a trip, my advice would be to go very far north where you're going to find 75 degrees. That's where I'd go if I was going to go fishing right now. That's my two cents for the night. I would agree. Well, as of the recording of this podcast, we're supposed to see colder temperatures in most of the the ranges that we're in. I, mean, I would assume that that cool down should spur some activity tomorrow when I mean, in the, into the weekend, don't, I mean, I'm, at this point, if I'm a muskie angler, I'm actually going to welcome this cold front, hoping that's going to actually yes. kick them into gear. Because much like you were talking, I was in northern Wisconsin on Monday and Tuesday, and we moved a pile of fish. We ended up getting two, but it was, and it was off moon window. I mean, it was one of those, we were just grinding that day because we wanted to catch fish. Um, but it was the same kind of deal. Like, nothing was moving on moon. In fact, I literally had, like, it was one minute to moon on Tuesday. I had a fish just cruise in about as fast as it could looked like it was going to crush my suic and it like pauses right before the suic and like i was fishing with jeff van Remortal, and we're both looking at each other like that's not what's supposed to happen like a minute before moon like so it's just weird and again like you said i mean it's been tough tougher the muskie saw you and decided he didn't want to eat your bait he said jeff maybe, you're ugly <laughs> maybe i mean i could see why he'd say that but uh <laughs> But I, you know, it was just one of those, and I had, I actually had it happen three times. I would just kind of death, death pause it, like about ten feet out, just let it, just get a little extra pause. And I saw three of them come up, do the exact same thing. I mean, they flew up in there, like I didn't see them previously. They just flew up on it and just paused, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't, you know, they would look at it for a second, and they would just kick off. And uh, so, like I said, we moved a bunch of fish. But I'm, if if it's me, and I was up north after this, like prolonged heat. A lot of guys are like, oh, cold front. I would be welcoming the cold front if I was able to get out tomorrow. I mean, I am able to get out tomorrow. Yeah, but. yeah. I, I used to think cold fronts were bad. Now I'll take one in a heartbeat. <laughs> I think this heat's even worse. Yeah. So it uh, just sucks to see the August temps already, So, which shuts them down. They're muskies. Anything bugs them. So They do musky things. Yeah. Jeff, how, how warm was it? I mean, we're talking – we're pushing that 80 degree mark here in Western Minnesota. Um, how warm was it in Northern Wisconsin? I mean, it was, uh, it was right in that ballpark, you know, where you're 78, 79 degrees to the point where you're like, you know, Hey, a little bit warmer weather and we should be 
should, we should be shutting this thing down. Um, the the only thing, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to debate too much on the 80 degree water temperature. I think that's something that we can all agree on. I wonder though, at this point, because the temperatures have been so cool previously, if you're not pulling these fish out or from deep water, how bad is it for them right now? Because the water temperatures have only been warm for literally a week. I was up north um, on Pelican Lake over the 4th of July, and they were all, like, I didn't see anything like over like 69.8 on Pelican Lake. And I had, and we had warm weather previously to that. I thought I'd see 75 degree water. Now, I don't know what the rain situation was up there. I didn't, I didn't look and I wasn't fishing. I was more or less swimming and I was going like, I don't want to swim in 70 degree water temps. Yeah. Cause I mean, I thought it was going to be quite a bit warmer and it wasn't. So like I said, over the course of literally one week or whatever it was, the water temperature shot up 10 degrees. What's your, what's your take on it? I mean, I, I think we all can agree that you should really shut it down, but how harmful is it at that point? I mean, cause the water, the water about a foot below can't really be 80 degrees. Well, you got to tread lightly there, you know, and, and honestly, I should throw down a depth bomb and, uh, see what that water is, you know, three feet, five feet, 10 feet, see what that water temp really is. Um, you know, surface is one thing, but, uh, definitely none of us want to harm a fish, you know, I mean, for sure. As musky fishermen, we we're very conscientious about what that does to the fish. So, you know, for it to climb as extreme as it has in a week, two week period. Um, Oh, see, I, I didn't see the, scream where i was so i was on vermilion catching open water fish at 73 degrees and i usually catch and that was in june uh 22nd i remember looking it was 72 degrees and it was 71.5 at 6 a.m and it was a cold night so that was what the water temp was on lake vermilion in june was that warm and then i mean when the water hit 70 mid-july normally that's when the rock bite starts. It's like clockwork. The open water bite starts from 60 to 62. And then me and Brad were talking about this. The water temp thing, what we thought was what happened with the open water is not real. When they get done spawning, there's a time frame. And that's when it starts. It does not matter what the water temp is. But I mean, almost every year, I, it's 60 to 62. The water temp. And the mayflies like cold water. They have no problem with that. Air has got to be warm from the spawn. 62 is a key. Yep. And, and that as long as it's a warm night, it can be 80 degrees out. Then they'll spawn, you know, then the mayflies will hatch. But um, this year we got, the water got warm and then we had cold nights the week. It was quote unquote supposed to start. But I couldn't believe that Lake Vermilion was, when I left, it was 74 and I was catching them. <laughs> and I should have been catching them on the rocks. But um, I wasn't here. I did actually go to Park Rapids for 4th of July, and the water was kind of cold now that you say that. I didn't fish that lake, but Leech was very warm. Leech was 77 on 4th of July. <laughs> so Leech Lake at 77 degrees on 4th of July, was that was insanity to me. But, yeah, I don't know. As far as that hot and cold, I don't have a probe, so I can't say. I did jump in yesterday, and it was pretty normal. I mean... <laughs> It was, uh, it, I jumped down, I dived, dove down about eight feet. It didn't feel too much colder. It was definitely colder, but it wasn't shockingly cold. Yeah, it's just something, I, you know, I was thinking out loud about, you know, I'm just curious because of how quickly they shot up. Is it worse than if you have a, you know, a gradual warm up to 80 degrees because then, the, you know, things are more even? I don't know. I mean, I think we all can agree 
when we see water temperatures approaching 80, we all either take extreme caution or we shut it down. And I'm not a scientist or a fish biologist, but I would say the shoot up to 80 is a lot safer than water that's been at 80 for a week. It was just, there's nowhere for them to hide. The shoot up, I would think, is safer, but I don't know. So, I mean, I've caught fish right at the 80 mark and they were fine. Or if they came out of deep water, they might sit there for a second. You'll get worried and go over there and push them down. They swim off. And, I mean, but usually when it's 80 and it's there for a couple of days, you got to shut it down. But I think we all agree on that. Agreed. Yeah, definitely got to take the uh, fish's health into consideration more yeah. than just getting out there and chasing them. Yeah. Well, hopefully those tornadoes kind of mix the lakes up by you. <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe know tomorrow. I'm hoping I can get in touch with somebody that's up there to get more information before I drive up there. Um, it is what it is, I guess, right? I mean, I'm assuming that at this point, with the amount of rain that it sounded like they got, they were getting over an inch of rain or two inches of rain with the tornadoes mixing the water. I mean, I'm guessing the water temperatures are probably safe to fish again tomorrow. No doubt. Yeah, I would think so. I noticed uh, the wind blew yesterday for a bit. I'm um, up here, and the water dropped one degree. So I think it's it, it'll be safe for a while as, as long as we can get some cooler nights. But we had 74, 75 for lows. That didn't help. No, and I I saw for us for long range, at least in the upper northern Wisconsin, and you guys are typically you know, close to us. But I saw there was like I think it was Monday. Monday overnight was like fifty some degrees. So. Yeah. Yep. That'll help. Yeah, I was gonna say, and I didn't see any like 90s in the you know in the forecast like we had today. It was like 95 and humid as heck. So yeah, that's good. I don't want to see the evil orb for another two weeks. I look like a lobster. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, like you said, weather's been, weather's weather's been the story, and moon phases have been the story this season for us. I mean, overall, I guess my advice to people is just just can like. A lot of guys would probably typically, you know, noon or, you know, between noon and three, if there's not a moon phase corresponding with that, they'd potentially head back in. And right now, my advice to you is if the water temperatures are safe to fish, I'd probably keep grinding all day long because that could be your only, only window of the day. Yeah, it's been six o'clock for us the last couple of days, six, 6 p.m. or in the morning, one of the two. We haven't caught anything at sundown. Well, Monday when I was up there, we had, I mean, it was full moon. I mean, full moon, I think, might have been Tuesday, but it, either way, it's right, right in there, and we ended up getting stormed off. Uh, fishing with Jeff, he's got an aluminum boat. I make a cast, I hear something pop, and then Jeff makes a cast, he hears something pop, and I'm like, ah, Jeff, we should probably get out of here. He's like, yeah, we better get out of here, like, right now. Fortunately, we got off the water, and it just started pouring, um, so we missed out on our last hour and a half of the night, but I haven't, the night bite hasn't been that great for us. When I say night, I mean, like, the the dawn, the sun, sundown bite hasn't been that great for us. Yeah. Pretty common theme. Yep. I did manage to catch one on a rabbit squirrel, though, so that was fun. Yeah, I guess if I had a, somebody ask me for advice, I'd say none of my patterns, my normal stuff that works this time of year, um, baits are fine, but the, where I'm finding fish, nothing. No pattern. Everything's messed up. Everything's where it shouldn't be, just like it was last year, it seems like. <laughs> Everything's either behind or seems ahead. I'm hoping this year it'll even out by mid-August, but it might be messed up all year like it was last year. Just weird patterns. Think outside the box this year. Think like it's a different month, maybe. Well, I guess when it, I, one one last question, we'll start to wrap this one up. But when you when it's tough like that, Matt, um, 
or even Brad or Matt Cook, either one of you guys, all you guys can answer, I guess. Is there a particular bait that you're going to lean on heavy, heavier than you maybe normally would if things were consistent for this time of year? I mean, is it um, typically is is rubber better a better option? If you said if if things were consistent or if they aren't. No, if things weren't consistent like they are right now, you know, like typically I would imagine right now, if it was a consistent year, you would have certain baits that that you have figured, you know, in this in this time of year, whether it be bucktails or whatever. Is, I mean, is this a year where maybe you're going to lean heavier on rubber than you would, you know, your your typical baits? Nope. I lean on my best baits, whatever that may be. So it's when the water's 80, obviously I can't use top waters anymore. If you get a fish up, they get down immediately. They don't want to be in 80 degree water. Um, so the top water's out right now. So then it's musky mayhem bucktails and whatever rubber bait I want to throw. But I mean, it's always a depth thing, either real slow with your bucktail or if you know, they're you already know they're not going to eat top water and you only got to cover, you know, two to 12 feet. So whatever baits will do that for you, your confidence baits, your only bet when the fish and stuff. That's, I guess the only way I could say it. Every lake's different. So to say we lean on rubber, if I'm catching them in five feet, I wouldn't be leaning on rubber. But if, uh, yeah, I actually threw rubber the other day. We moved more fish on bucktails, and the fish were very deep. So, speed, yeah. speed of retrieval, too, can be a huge key. Yeah. And slowing things down, getting deeper in the water column. Makes sense. Well, guys, you got anything else to add to this episode? If I say yes, we're going to be here longer, so no, I don't. All right, perfect. It's, all, it's over. All right, you guys have a good night. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was fun. it was fun. Thanks. Yeah, we always appreciate you both Matt's coming out. I know that you guys both have, you know, your unique areas that you know well, and it's good to get your insight onto those. So we appreciate you guys coming out again. As always, we appreciate Brad and Carrie coming on with us. So Brad, Carrie, why don't you want you to decide which one's going to talk about Musky Mayhem again quick? Uh, Musky Mayhem, if you have any interest in our baits, uh, you can definitely look us up on our website, muskymayhem.com. MuskyMayhemTackle.com. I always get that screwed up. Um, yeah, you can do either. But uh, otherwise, check us out on Facebook or as well, Instagram. And love to hear from you. Uh, any questions or things that you'd like us to highlight on the podcast or just a question you want to shoot at us, give us an email. And how about Matt Seifert? You want to wrap things up on your end if people are interested in booking a trip with you i know you said you're really busy but maybe if you might might have an opening or next year however uh yeah i have stuff for next year open um and maybe a couple days on Malax in november um and maybe one day in october i think but anyways uh just text or call leave a voicemail if i don't answer uh 651-357-8709 is my cell. I am on Facebook. I don't usually look at it, but you could try a Facebook messenger. I think it's, yeah, messenger, Facebook messenger. That'll work too. Is that your personal site or your mercenary site? I don't have a mercenary site, so I guess. Curious might hook me up with something. Maybe I'll get on that. One of those fancy things. What is it? Instagram or Snapchat or something like that? Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Maybe Carrie can talk me into that. 
<laughs> me do it for you. Yeah, maybe she can do it for me. That'd be better. And Matt Cook, you want to wrap things up on your end? Yeah. So if any of this interests you, whether that be you know the new Humminbird uh, Mega Imaging Plus units or uh, Mega 360 that we talked about, uh, any information will be found at humminbird.com. You know, H-U-M-M-I-N-B-I-R-D.com. And, you know, any information on new products, existing products, or even uh, tips and tricks videos and uh, anything that you, you want to find regarding our products or to learn how to use our products can be found there. Perfect. And if you would like Matt's to Matt's personal touch- cell is. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right, enough, enough. I'm trying to wrap this up. Okay, I know, sorry. I know you wanted to push the two-hour mark, which you did successfully. Um, and if you'd like to get in touch with Team Rhino Outdoors, my name is Jeff. I own a company called Team Rhino Outdoors, as I just mentioned. It would be www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. You can find us on all the other stuff, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We've been putting out new videos every single Sunday. We have plenty of content coming up, so hopefully we have something you like. For Backlash Podcast, you can reach us at backlashpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Backlash Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to find, you know, find more episodes of it, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, and I think that's it. So I guess with that being said, this is another episode of Backlash, Backlash Podcast. We appreciate you all wasting two hours with us hopefully we brought you some knowledge to help put fish more fish in the boat thank you guys all for joining us tonight thanks for having us Jeff. appreciate it Jeff. Jeff. yeah it was fun thanks Jeff. Find your tomorrow. <laughs> thanks i need it <laughs> have a great night <laughs>